Thinking caps on, everybody. I have two mini things to say on Jonah chapter 2 and one slightly less mini thing to say. And it's all about how we share Jesus effectively in our families, circles, and friendships, and work, and the city of Cardiff and beyond. And these two mini things are important for me to touch on because Christians have to engage with topics that the world talks about. Otherwise, we're just useless and disconnected and foreign in the wrong type of way, just absent-minded. So, here's a run-up to the mini point number two. And you can guess what it is as I read it. Pick me up. This is chapter 1, verse 12. And throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And they threw him over. And then the pagans on the ship become converted and join the family of God. Here's mini point number one for you to think about. Um, and should there be a culture here of long sermons, which there isn't, I'd take a long time on these two topics this morning. Here it is. Euthanasia and assisted suicide. Is that what you were thinking of when you read Jonah chapter 2? Well, these are hot topics in the city of Cardiff. And it is the elephant in the room in Jonah chapter 1 and 2. Throw me overboard. I got some questions. As members of Park End Church, can you express the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ in situations like euthanasia and assisted suicide? Then this is just a mini point. We're not dwelling here. Can you go into a situation and offer hope? Is the Lord Jesus Christ more than just my personal little savior? And when you meet someone with these heartbreaking big decisions to make, can you offer something from the Bible and biblical principles to speak into those difficult situations. Because I think to share Jesus in the city, we should have at least a rudimentary basic understanding of what the Bible offers. And we're not to march in and go, here's what I think. Because everybody offers what they think. Our job is to share Jesus in the city and tap into what he might think into these difficult situations. So, let's tease this out just as a run-up. Um... There's lots of men going to die in Jonah. One man is guilty, and it's all his fault. What do you do? Let me put it another way. Does the necessity to survive decriminalize, decriminalize an act? I told you to get your thinking caps on. Does the necessity to survive decriminalize an act? That's what the world is asking at the moment. And what does Lord Jesus think about that? So, for example, let's say right now in the middle of the room, a big hole opens up. Now, let's just say there's a hole there anyway. And lava keeps, com comes up, seeping up from the basement, and Park M building is going to sink. Okay? And the only way to save all of us in this room is to plug the hole with one of us. I don't know, an elder. Pick an elder. <laughs> it's necessary that the elder plugs the hole so that life can be preserved. Is that a crime when you put him in or her? Is it? Next question. What if the elder consents? And then you plop him in. Is it still a crime? Or does the necessity to, to survive decriminalize the act? 
Here's another question. If the lava is coming up, because last night one of the elders was being silly in this room with a missile, just firing it around, and he shot it at the floor, and the hole is there, and it's all his fault, and now we're going to pay for his crime, does that make it a crime if we put him in the hole to plug it from the building collapsing, to stop the building collapsing? Now, I've got a friend in this building, he's called Roland. Roland's over there. Roland and I have a mutual friend. I'll tell you the story briefly. I had a lecturer on systematic theology. He was a very clever man. But before he was a lecturer, he came out of Cambridge or Oxford, I can't remember one, and he had uh, come first in his class in law. And guess who his first boss was when he picked up a job in Cardiff? Roland. And we've all come full circle now, and we've met to talk to each other again after 30-something years. Now, this chap told me about a case. The case was a seminal moment in common law. And the case, and some of you might have heard this, was Dudley and Stevens versus the Queen. Have you heard of that one? Roland has. Dudley and Stevens versus the Queen. Three men in 1884 were starving on a boat. They ate the 17-year-old with them because he was the weakest one there. Now that became one of the most famous cases in law. Does necessity to survive negate a crime? Are you thinking caps on? What would you say when people are going through difficulties? We have in Jonah chapter 2, part of the Bibles and what it says in the area of assisted suicide in euthanasia. Is it right or wrong? And in verse 12, Jonah suggests the idea to throw me overboard so other people can live. And as Christians, we cannot have a naive view and just be blasé about these topics in 2023 in Cardiff. Jonah says, treat me like cargo because I am a danger to you. Here's another question. What if you plug the gap with an elder who's just been told last week by a doctor that he doesn't have long to live anyway? Does that make a difference? This passage should be debated on what the city of Cardiff debating at the moment. A final couple of questions. Are all lives equally valuable? What do you think about that? Your non-Christian friend says, because now we're in the area of abortion. What do you think about that? What would you say? Here's another question. If you were in a burning building and could only save one of these two uh, what do I call them for the sake of this illustration? One of these two, uh, um, well, I'll tell you what it is. A three-month baby's in one corner of a burning building, and in the other, t other corner of the building, there's an embryo, a test tube with an embryo in it. You could only save one. Which one would you save and why? Are all lives equally valuable? Now, I've offered some thoughts on some of these topics on the Park End YouTube channel. There are videos on it. And I'm only saying it in passing because we cannot, in 2023, the way our society is, be thoughtless on these types of questions. Jesus Christ has to be more than my personal Savior if we believe He offers hope into the difficulties of modern society. We have a cosmic life-giving Lord Jesus Christ. And so Park End can help people. They can help people. 
So avail yourselves when you can of talking to people, the leaders of this church who have thought about things, or go to classes where these things on Thursdays or house groups are more discussed. It's important. I'm not giving you any answers this morning. Here's the second mini point along the way to the main one. Miracles. What do you think about them? Because that's in Jonah chapter 2. Some people find it hard to swallow that Jonah got swallowed. What do you think about that? And they see the great fish as a literary device. I've got friends who think that. Here's why I don't. Three little reasons. Number one, it doesn't seem here, and I'm all for literary devices in the Bible, but it doesn't seem in this book that a literary device is being used. <clears throat> the text doesn't indicate it. Number two, why I think it's a big fish that swallowed Jonah. Number two, there is stacks of sacred and secular evidence that there is a God and that He has created everything. Credible evidence, not held by lunatics, but scholars. It's there. So if we believe that the living God can create the cosmos, it isn't that hard for Him to get a fish to swallow a man. I just don't think it's a big stretch for Him after what He's done. If you believe one, you could probably believe the other. And third, the most difficult miracle in the Bible and in world history is not that a fish can swallow a man. It is the Lord Jesus Christ saving sinners. That cost the blood of God Himself. The salvation of uh, the Ninevites is the miracle of the book of Jonah. What it takes to take someone who's dead in sin and they love it, to suddenly not love it and to love God is the miracle that cost the life of God Himself. So if you don't believe miracles, but you believe that you're a Christian and that your sins have been forgiven, I think there's a logical inconsistency there. Not a single thing in Jonah is less believable than sitting in front of me are people who have been saved from sin and are now on the way to heaven and have affections for the Lord Jesus Christ. So be careful if you think that he can't handle a fish, but he can handle you. You're not the easier option than this fishy story in the book of Jonah. And if you have reduced the awe that the Lord has died for you, perhaps this morning it's time to remember the real miracle about our faith, that he's died for me. Lord, make me a repentant, humble husband and father again that realizes I've got sin in my life because I've devalued it. Perhaps we need to go there as a church this morning. And now, I'm on to the final main point. And here it is in Jonah chapter 2. Jesus hears people cry to him from the depths. And that is a message that the city of Cardiff needs to hear this morning. Here's a question. What's the worst hotel you've ever stayed in? Take a few seconds while I have a sip of water. Right, now you've got it in your mind. Uh, could you move around in it? Next question. Did it smell of fish? Next question. Did the lights work? 
Next question, are you now slightly more thankful for the worst hotel you've ever stayed in? In comparison to the hotel that Jonah enters in Jonah chapter 2. Jonah spends some time in the belly of a fish. I love the power of the Lord Jesus over animals. I've got a whole list here of all the times animals just walk up to him and like, how can we serve you, sir? I love how large our Lord Jesus Christ is. I wish my dog served Jesus instead of stealing my food all the time. But that's a different sermon. Jesus is so wonderfully large that in the Bible, rocks, trees, stars, fish, donkeys, cows, they all line up for him for roll call. How can we serve you? I love it. Sir, what can I do for you? Here, it's a big fish. I'll handle this one. Thanks for appointing me for the job. King Jesus, I'm on it. In fact, humans in the Bible, we're like this lunatic fringe on the edge of society that that doesn't show up to roll call for Jesus. The animals do it, and we're like, nah, I'm not going to serve you. We're mad. But, here's the point, getting to the main point about the depths. Um, A fish is appointed, and Jonah enters the belly of a whale, heading into the depths. And did you know that there is a worm appointed that we will one day end up in the belly of? Have you ever thought about that? Isn't that a depressing thought? We will enter the ground and probably worms eventually will take us away into their bellies and then the bird will eat the worm and we'll re-enter sort of the ground again and the circle of life carries on. We are all heading into the belly of an animal. Jesus has appointed a worm to come and get me one day, wherever I'll be buried, unless I'm created, cremated. I was in a funeral recently and the preacher said this, When this day comes for us all, we're all going to this dark belly type place. What are you hoping for? That's my question today for the city of Cardiff and for us here. What are you hoping for when that animal who is appointed comes to you? Are you hoping for the best? Because in Jonah... There isn't hoping for the best. They go higher. There's trusting in the Lord in the belly of the great fish. Later, the Lord Jesus Christ reminisces about this story in Matthew 12. And He links it all about the darkness of death. Are we ready for the belly that's coming? And He says this, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He's getting us, even this morning, to think about death and resurrection. And what are we hoping for? And you non-Christians listening here or at home, it's coming. A divinely appointed womb, whatever it is, will get our bodies one day. What is our hope for when that is our state? And where does the Lord Jesus feature? In your hope, this cry, throw me overboard, Jonah says. It's interesting that the very lowest point of Jonah's life is where Jesus shines the brightest. Jonah is saved when all around him seems dark. 
when I can't get any lower, Jesus later says, that's when he's like me. That's when I'm going to speak to him with my hope the most. He's forsaken. And I'm going to be forsaken. And so we're connected to each other. And I'm going to offer him my hope. And even in his state of being forsaken, he, there's a light. Because I'm joining him there. That's how Jesus treats this passage. And in this city right now, as we draw this shorter sermon, sort of to a close, there are hurting people everywhere saying, throw me overboard. I cannot do it anymore. Throw me overboard. And then look at what we can offer. Is verse 1 of chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Cardiff City and Park End Church, it's not over. The darkness doesn't have to have the final word. Just by the by, you may find this interesting or not, but here's another question. And we are coming to an end. What would you call Jonah chapter 2? If you had to give a subheading or a heading to Jonah chapter 2, what would you call it? The NIV has already called it something. What would you call it? Have a think. Keep you awake. You would probably call it Jonah's prayer or the prayer of Jonah, right? Right. I think that's wrong. And I think it's wrong. And I think the NIV's got it wrong. And I think something's missed. I think, and it is important, so stay with me. I think there isn't a prayer in Jonah chapter 2. I think there are two prayers. And it's linked to our hope this morning. Jonah prays two prayers. So the chapter should be called the prayers of Jonah. And I do not understand why modern scholars get this wrong. It might be that I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. Look, uh, here's verse 3. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. Where are you if there's currents swirling about you? Are you in a fish or are you in the water? You're in the water. Thank you, the one person who's listening. And verse 4. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again from your holy temple. That's pre-fish because he's banished. Uh, he's in the heart of the sea. The waves are crashing around him. Verse 5, the waters threaten me. So he's in the sea there, not the whale. And then in verse 6, he starts sinking deeper into the sea. And he's calling out to the Lord and remembering that episode. And in verse 6 and 7, it's possible he even died. And that's why he says, I'm in the pit. And verse 2, all well, that starts with him calling out. But verse 1, he's in the fish, and he's praying, and remembering the prayer that he prayed when he wasn't in the fish. Right? I've lost you all. Here's where I try and get it back to tie this off. He may have died, he may have not. If he didn't, these are his circumstances. He's completely surrounded in darkness. He's restrained. He's struggling for breath. Now that, for some of you, is Monday morning. Or, it's when you go home to whatever nightmare you think you cannot face anymore. It was the Garden of Gethsemane for the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the main point. It is nonsense that you need to be in a good place to have the Lord come and help you. Or to know Him. Or to call out to Him and know His arms around you. Or that you need silence. 
or you need things to be going well for God to love you and care about you, or there's no children around and now I can pray and it's all quiet and lovely and classic FM is playing and I'm in a good place now to finally meet the Lord. Rubbish! When I am utterly covered in waters or fish intestines, whichever prayer I am offering, help! And the psalmist said, and he hears my cry for mercy. Jonah, what is the best quiet time you've ever had with the Lord, or the best experience? Well, it was when I was suffocating in intestines. Uh, although I did have a good one as well, when I was in the waters, and I was at death's door. I actually died once, and I'd lost all hope. It was there in the pit that my Savior answered my prayer and shone brighter than ever before. No wonder Jesus hated the Pharisees and their prayers. They're like, you love me because I'm so good and everything's well's going on. Jesus is like, shut up. I want this one. I have come for this one who is in a mess. And he is lost. I am coming for him. And the chapter ends with not only the Lord hearing him in the pits, but giving him strength to say, I'm going to serve you. Lord, I'm going to serve you. Even though I'm still in the fish, I'm still I'm going, to, I'm going to serve you. And the fish vomits him out. And Jonah, like every human being in world history that has ever come across, the hope of the Lord God knows a fresh start today. A plane was crashing. And the pilot came through to address everybody in the airplane and he said, don't panic, I'm going to get some help. I either didn't say that right or you're not listening because I thought that was really funny. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again because the whole sermon hangs on this point. There's a plane crashing. The engines have failed. The pilot comes through the door to where the people are and he says, don't panic, I'm going to get help. I'm not saying that, right, am I? <laughs> well, what I'm trying to say is he's off. Right, thank you. He's not coming back, is he? Right. Okay, it just wasn't funny then. I was chuckling when I read that this week. Anyway, right, here's the point, now that this all gone wrong. Um, the pilot there, he says, you've got big problems, I'm off. Right, the Lord Jesus Christ does not do that. Welcome to a Savior who joins us in our mess and offers us hope in it in it and he will pull us through in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen